The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Doug Bursch here, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Hope you had a great Christmas. Didn't eat too many Christmas cookies. Of course, we all stayed away from the fruitcake, because fruitcake is from the devil. On today's show, I want to talk about the concept of resolutions. No, we're not going to make a bunch of resolutions we fail at. I want to talk about the fact that some of you have resolved to do things that people are no longer supporting, to pursue things that people have forgotten about. How do we pursue spirit-breathed plans that have been forgotten? How do those plans produce the character of Christ in us even when we've been forgotten? to the Fairly Spiritual Show. I am your host, Pastor Doug Bursch. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas, but if you didn't, it has passed, and now we're heading into the new year. A couple things. Uh, I have on my website, fairlyspiritual.org, a thematic reading plan. If you don't know what a thematic reading plan is, don't worry, I'll explain it to you. I have a friend of mine who each year gives me a revised thematic reading plan where you can read through the Bible in a year, and he tries to have the readings have a theme each day from the Old Testament and the New Testament, where it's not just chronological, but where the scriptures you're reading uh, thematically uh, fit together. Now, uh, for those of you who love to read through the Bible in a year, but want a different reading plan each year, uh, this would be great for you. You can go to fairlyspiritual.org, and you can find the thematic reading plan for this year and past years as well. The people who do that love that. Now, I'm going to tell you something here. I hope this doesn't offend you. I do not go through the thematic reading plan because I am unable to read through the Bible in a year, and I don't need another thing to fail at. I'm just not one of those people who can do that. So I think there's two kinds of people. There's probably three. There's people who can do it, those who can't. Those who can, if you want to succeed or fail at succeeding or try it this year, go to the website and you can find that. Also, I'd love it if you would text me. I so much enjoy when people text and say, hey, Doug, I listen to the show. Uh, I'm actually listening to these things you're producing on the radio or on the podcast, and so uh, let me know. So here is the phone number, 360-818-4513. You're saying, I don't text. That's what my kids do. Maybe this will be the first text you ever send out. Let's do it. 360-818-4513, 360 360- 818-4513, and you don't have to text, you can also leave a message, 360-818-4513, I'm sounding like I'm selling something, 360-818-4513. Uh, so on today's show, I want to talk about a few things. Uh, one, uh, I'm going to focus on resolutions a little bit, um, don't worry, I'm not going to you know, make you resolve to do something you're going to fail at, for instance, I'm not going to make you resolve to go through the Bible in a year. Uh, But I do want to talk about the concept that some of you have resolved to do things in life or set yourself on a course where um, people have forgotten about you. And I know that can sound very, as Christians, we're not supposed to talk about that. We're supposed to do everything unto the Lord, right? We're not supposed to even mention the fact that we've noticed that people have forgotten about us. 
I don't, I don't know if you've ever engaged in anything like this, but maybe you said, you know, I'm going to do something for the Lord. And there were a bunch of people like, man, that's a great idea. Think of it like this, like you're at the base of a mountain and there's this crowd with you and they're all like, this is a great idea. You should climb that mountain. And in fact, maybe there are other people like, we're going to climb this mountain with you. And so you're just, you're all excited. You throw a big party. Maybe there's a commissioning. They lay hands on you. People give you prophetic words. Uh, by the way, I found some of the biggest prophetic words. People would say, you know, Doug, you know, thousands of people are going to be reached by your life. And I see you in this giant church. And they give you these amazing words. Those people eventually disappear. So you start out on the journey and there's all these people around you and they're, they're yes, you know, we believe in this vision. And, and it's not like they're mean or rude, or but, but they have their own lives. And you start climbing up the mountain and you look around you and there's less people. And then one day you find yourself and you feel like you're kind of alone. Feel like you've sort of been forgotten. And I was thinking about this in the context of uh, John the Baptist. Uh, going through the Christmas story as a pastor, when you read the narratives about Jesus, uh, John is in there. He's in those narratives. We hear about how John, you know, we have Elizabeth and she has John and, and Mary has Jesus and how John, you know, the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb and that, that gives comfort to Mary, uh, you know, that she knows she's okay because John is already testifying to Jesus being the Messiah, in, in, even when he's in Elizabeth's womb. And, and so there's this, this narrative where John has this incredibly important role, and there's these prophetic utterances, and, and John is very important to the story of Christmas, to the story of Messiah at the beginning of his life. And then at the beginning of the Gospels, John is pretty important, right? John is is saying, look, you know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and John is baptizing Jesus, and John is, is saying, here's the story is beginning, and pay attention to this man, and the Holy Spirit, you know, when John is baptizing Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, and John is setting the table. And so John has tremendous importance. And then the scripture talks about where, where John even mentions, I must decrease so that he must increase. And there is even belief that there was a lot of confusion about the role that John had. You know, was John Messiah? And did people worship John as Messiah? Was the, you know, not that we believe John is Messiah, but that people were so confused because John was so important at the time that others were confused about his role. He was somewhat of a superstar. And even though that John went out in the wilderness and said these strong things, people came and followed him. I, to, to just talk about how important John was, you know, sometimes I, in my past, I've had someone send me an angry, uh, quote-unquote, prophetic email or prophetic letter, and they've quoted something like a voice crying out in the wilderness, and they've seen themselves as sort of like John the Baptist. The idea that, you know, John went off in the wilderness, he's not a part of the institutions, he's not a part of the church structures, and he's just telling it like it is. Well, John the Baptist might have gone off in the wilderness, but people came and found him. John had disciples, and John had a following, and people wanted to hear what he had to say. Others didn't want to hear. But John had a message where many people flocked to that message. He, he wasn't just some disgruntled person who had a computer and a Twitter account. So John had this tremendous authority. And then we get to this point where the narrative changes. 
and John begins to decrease, and his notoriety decreases. And although, and, and again, he still has influence, he's still offending people, but his fame and his good fortune begins to turn greatly. And we see a few things, and this must have affected John 1. When, when Jesus comes onto the picture, some of John's disciples leave him to follow Jesus. And I know G- John is preparing the way for Messiah, but still, that's hard when some of your followers leave you and go to be with someone else. So he loses his base, and they go to be with Jesus. And then we see that John is locked away in prison. While he's in prison, he's seeing the ministry that Jesus is doing, and he's so troubled by it because it's not really what he thought Messiah would do, that he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to basically say, hey, are you, are you really Messiah? Are you Because what you're doing here doesn't really seem like what Messiah would do. So John is troubled about what is happening here. He's in prison, and the one that he's prepared the way for is not doing things the way he thinks he should do them. And then we see this reality that Jesus is going to all these crowds and and doing all these miracles, and Jesus is not freeing John from prison. Jesus doesn't go and make John a priority. Jesus forgets about John. Now, Jesus doesn't forget about John, but if you just stepped back, you see Jesus just leaves John to deal with himself. He doesn't rescue him. John, who's preparing the way for Jesus, has to walk something out. John's not rescued. John, who is the prophet who prepares the way for Messiah, what is John's reward? Just think about John's reward. John's reward is to be beheaded. John is beheaded. There's prophecies in the beginning. Remember in Christmas where how great... John's going to be, and, and, and all these amazing these miracles, and the angel comes and tells John's father about his son and what his son's going to do, and, but the angel doesn't say that your son is going to, basically, your son is going to uh, die. Your son is going to be beheaded. Your son is going to end in a tragic death. So there's two sides of John. There's this prophetic beginning, and then there's this incredibly tragic ending. And when I think about John, this sets the table for our life. That many of you have been given these amazing visions and these amazing callings, but you might be finding yourself in a place that feels far more like a prison than the beginning of the Christmas story. And I want to talk with you a little bit about this reality, that sometimes God calls his most choice vessels to go through some very difficult times. And it's not because you're doing it wrong. It's just a part of walking out your faith. Hey, I want to thank you so much for listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Uh, For those of you who donated to keep the show on the last few months, thank you. In order to move forward in the coming year, we have to have people donate. We simply will not stay on the air. I didn't want to pretend with how this show stays on the air. We don't like send you a bunch of emails to get you to keep donating. I just each month ask someone else to give. We need uh, at least $500 to come in this month to stay on the air with matching donations. In order to do that, I need you to go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org and donate. $25, $50, $100. That's how we stay on the air. Fairlyspiritual.org. Your donation keeps us on another month. Or we go off the air and we do something else. But it really matters that you donate. So please go to fairlyspiritual.org.
360-818-4500. How's that for honest and open? Also, text the show, 360-818-4513, and get the reading plan at fairlyspiritual.org. All right, so I, I'm pointing at John the Baptist's life, and it's not to get everybody down, but if you look at John's life, it starts out with this tremendous notoriety, and John the Baptist's life ends with him being beheaded. If you look at the life of the disciples, it has a similar trajectory that we, we hear about the beginning of their life as being called as disciples. And even after Jesus's resurrection and ascension, uh, we, we see you know them powerful in the book of Acts and all these things they're doing. But then they kind of disappear from the picture and we don't really hear about them. But when we hear about the end of the disciples' lives, as far as through church history, their lives don't end that well. In fact, um, the disciples end in martyrdom. John ends up on an island imprisoned. Uh, Peter most likely ended up crucified upside down. The Apostle Paul ends up dying in prison. Now, I'm putting all these things out there in that, oh, oh, by the way, Paul also in his letters writes that everyone has abandoned me and forsaken me. In our modern leadership vernacular, people would say that Peter was a bad leader because he didn't produce disciples who were able to defend the ministry that he had done because whatever, uh, excuse me, whatever Paul had done, people didn't come to his defense. They abandoned him. So what you see is these men and these women were walking out a faith that didn't always produce a crowd to defend them, that didn't always produce the fruit of, hey, look at all the people around me and, and look at all the validation I'm getting. In fact, when it came to the world, they received less validation. They received imprisonments and they received beatings and scorn and martyrdom. Or they just kind of were forgotten, at least forgotten by this world. Forgotten so much that they weren't written about. The Bible writes about their beginnings, but not their endings. Now, we are an expression of their endings, their faithfulness. But we only hear the beginning. I'm talking about that today because I know there's people listening right now where you've started out on a journey and there were prophetic words, and there were people who prayed for you, and there was great passion, but there's been a cost. There's been a cost for you to minister the gospel. And you might find yourself right now in a place where you feel forgotten. And I just wanted to acknowledge that the fact that maybe you don't have people around you praising you, or you feel alone, or you feel like you're in your own prison, or you're you know exiled to some island here, it doesn't mean you haven't been faithful, and it doesn't mean you haven't been doing what God has called you to do. I was thinking about this. I have uh, many friends in the ministry who started their own churches. In my own denomination, there's pastors who just started their own church, and I'm, I just love church planters. And these men and women, these couples, started their own church, and basically with hardly any help from their own denomination, they just worked and worked and worked. They were paid hardly anything. They sacrificed time uh, with their family. They, they sacrificed economic viability. When people talk about people going to ministry in order to control people and to make a lot of money, most pastors are bivocational. Most pastors I know could have made more money doing anything else. At least every one of these pastors I know could have made more money doing anything else. They did this out of calling. And of these couples I know, they spent years and years spending, you know, working way more hours and 
giving way more time than anything they could ever be paid. They paid much of their money in order to support the church, to pay the rent, to pay for the chairs, to do... I mean, they just invested their lives, their money, their income, their family, their time in the churches. And while they did that, they had to constantly deal with pressures from people within the church and pressures from their denomination. They continually went to conferences that told them, your church needs to grow, and if your church doesn't grow, it's really not a successful church. These are churches they founded and invested all their time and their energy and their money in, and yet they'd go to a conference and the conference would say, you know, you're not really a good pastor or a good church unless you grow. And they went to conference after conference that expected more of them and accused them that you're really not doing what God has called you to do. And they pastored in these churches for 20, 25, 30 years, and they got to the point because these churches never grew to be mega churches, and because they never really got the support from their denomination financially or, or the kinds of things that we would do with any other profession, because they absorbed the cost, most of these pastors could not afford to retire. So they're trying to find a way to see if someday they can retire, someday they can find a way in order to transition to another stage in life. And even at that stage, they're getting pressure from people that you should retire and you should hand things over. And again, having to justify their existence all the way along, justify their existence, seen seen now as irrelevant, seen as people who are just holding on and should hand things over, even though they have given their life to this expression with hardly any, any support in the process. I've seen these pastors give their lives, and they're not disgruntled, and they're not embittered, but many times they're forgotten. They're not platformed at conferences. They get to go to the same conference and watch, every year they watch the same pastor of the large successful church give them the same kind of speech about what they need to do in order to be successful like that church. And they've, they've given so much that that pastor who's speaking to them has no idea. He has no idea. They are being, <laughs> these men and women are as wise and full of character as any person on the face of the earth. And yet they have people telling them year after year after year how to grow in character and in wisdom. And they receive from those people and they receive character and wisdom but again, year after year after year, they have to justify their existence. They're given a vision. And whatever moment of notoriety they get when they're younger, in the end, often they're finding themselves just laboring in a field unto the Lord with very little notoriety. That's just in ministry. But in life, many of you face the same issues. You've been given a vision, you've been given a purpose, and you're struggling, and you're working hard, and the notoriety is no longer there. There's some of you who are, you adopted a child, and everybody in the church and everybody around you, they were so supportive when you adopted that child, but now people have moved on, and it's not that it's bad that they've moved on, they've just moved on with their lives. But that child or those children, they have lots of special needs, and it's incredibly difficult to parent those kids. Some days it seems impossible. There's attachment issues where it seems impossible, and you are struggling away. Some days where it feels like it's just you and God and these children, and you're faithfully parenting kids who were so hurt and so harmed before they even came into your home, 
that sometimes you wonder if you'll ever be able to connect with them in the way they need to really feel love and to understand God. You feel forgotten as you're pursuing the calling that God has put in your heart. Some of you are in marriages where you're not getting the love and support that you need. And there are times when people support you, but you can't daily go to people and say, I need help. My husband never supports me. You know the word never is such an extreme word, but you could say that. He never says, I love you. He never hugs me. He never gives me the love I need. He never apologizes. Some days I feel like I just can't make it. I feel like I'm completely alone. You feel alone. There's a form of a prison there. You know you're called to this marriage. You know you'll never leave this person. But at the same level, you feel like you're alone in this calling. There's so many places where we feel like it's just us and God and the vision he's given us. There's so many things that we've been called to walk out regardless of the fruit, regardless what happens in our life. You know, I used to help assess church planters in my denomination Uh, They don't ask me to do it anymore, and I I guess I must have done it wrong, but I would meet with these uh, people, and we would basically assess whether they could start a church. Now, the assessment that we would do had this idea that if you were successful in the past, you'd be successful in the future. So we looked at if they were successful doing other things, and they'd be successful in the future, and, and I didn't really think that was the best way to assess church planners. For me, I thought the best way to see if someone's successful is to see this. If they've gone through a lot of pain and trauma and heartache and they still believe in God, then they're going to be great church planners. If they love God, whether or not people praise them, then they're going to be great church planners. If they have a passion for God, whether or not things have gone well or poorly, then they're going to be great church planners. And so we would sit there for, I don't know, three hours sometimes, and we would just ask them questions, and they'd talk about their life. And there'd come some time in the interview when I would say this to, to the pastor or the, the planting couple, I'd say, I don't know if you guys are going to succeed as church planters. I don't know if your church is going to exist for 20, 30, 40 years, or if it'll close down in a year. But I do know this. If you follow Jesus and you love him with all your heart, and you love those entrusted to your care with all your heart, You will grow in the character of Christ, and you will do well. That's what it's about. It's not about the external fruit, what we judge as success in the world's eyes. It's not about whether people accept us or reject us. It's about faithfulness. If we are faithful to God and faithful to those he's entrusted to our care, then we will grow in the character of Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says, uh, let me look at this. He says, um, let's go Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. 
some of you have really difficult things that you've embarked on and you feel alone in your calling. And I want you to know God sees you and he loves you and you haven't done anything wrong. This is just what it is. Sometimes we walk things out and people walk away. Be faithful, persevere. You will grow in the character of Christ. Regardless of whether people praise you, God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you dearly. And others, you're just starting on this journey. And maybe they're praising you now, and that's great. And maybe there's a group around you, and that's great. But remember this, whether the crowds are there or not, be faithful. Walk it out. Remember the life of John. Whether it starts with the Christmas story and the angels announcing your birth, or it ends with a beheading. Just be faithful, and God will do the work he desires to do through your life. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's show. I'd love to hear from you. Would you text me? 360-818-4513 or call 360-818-4513. You can get our uh, yearly reading plan at our website, fairlyspiritual.org, or support the show there as well at fairlyspiritual.org. You can pick up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. Now make room for the Lord. He knows you by name and he loves you dearly. I will see you later. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.